Amen. Check it out. It was uh, February, and the tourist season was in full swing in this seemingly innocent town in Spain, and the sun was shining, and by all appearances, it seemed like a, a wonderful place to escape the horrors of World War I. But that was until the plague came to town. And the next thing you know, it was everywhere. Listen, the sickness preyed on the young and old alike. And one day you were feeling fine. The next day, all of a sudden, you got this headache. And all of a sudden, your eyes start to burn. And then you start to shiver. And you go to bed. And you curl up into this ball. But no amount of blankets can keep you warm. And then you fall into this restless sleep. And you're dreaming these distorted nightmares. And the fever begins to climb. And then your face turns dark brownish purple. And you start to cough up blood. Whereupon your feet start turning black. And then finally, you're frantically, you're gasping for breath as a bloody saliva bubbles come out of your mouth and you actually start to drown because your lungs are filling up with it and it takes only a few days. Some people only took a few hours. There's nothing you could do to stop it. You're going to die. And because of this plague, overnight, listen, children were orphaned just like that. Families were destroyed. Towns were decimated. Populations were totally eliminated from the face of the earth. And those who lived through it said it was such a horrible time, they don't even ever in their life ever once want to even talk about it again. Because one-fifth of the world's population became infected with it, and it was described as the biblical prophecy of the pale horse rider bringing death in Hades behind it coming to pass. Why? Because when all was over, listen, it killed more people in just a few months and any other time, any other illness in the history of mankind. The year was not too long ago, 1918. The death toll was over 100 million people. The plague, of course, was the great influenza outbreak. Wow, not that long ago, okay? Now, folks, how many of you guys would say, and, uh, well, first of all, have you heard of the great flu outbreak, the influenza outbreak, 1918? I think most of us have, okay? And again, you know the theme. I think we would agree that that was a horrible, <laughs> one of the worst horrible disasters of all time, right? But again, folks, with all due respect to those who lost their lives in the great flu outbreak, what if I were to tell you I know of a disaster that makes that massive flu look like just a mild child's fever, Okay, And what if I were to tell you this disaster it didn't just occur at one place at one country at one time, but it's going on right now today and it's been leaving a trail of death and destruction for centuries. Folks, once again, we're dealing with the issue of the satanic war on the Christian. And again, the facts are this. We Christians, we don't go to battle here and there once in a while. We go to war every single day. The moment we got saved, we entered into a spiritual war against a demonic host whose sole purpose is to destroy us and to extinguish our effectiveness for Jesus Christ. And so in order to stop getting duped and unnecessarily beat up, as Christians, with spiritual warfare issues, we're going to continue our study, the satanic war on the Christian. Now, we've already seen with the battle theme set forth in the scripture that if you're going to win a war, the first thing you need to know is what? You need to know who your enemy is, right? We're going to deal with that again a little bit uh, today. The second thing, what your enemy is like. The third thing, the tactic of your enemy. The fourth thing, the destruction of your enemy. And last time we saw the fifth thing of the enemy, and that is uh, what he will do when he comes to tempt you. Okay? And there we saw the scripture says the enemy is not just out there, but he's out there what? He's out there every single day tempting us to sin against God. And last time we saw the first temptation he fires at us is he will tempt us to become what I call a twisted Christian. And that's where we saw once again he will actually try to get us Christians, okay, to think that he doesn't exist or his demons don't, demons don't exist. Why? Because that's the old sneak attack. It's a military term. So that he could come in right in your midst, bang, and destroy you. The whole time you think it's not even real, okay? But we also saw, building on that, the second thing he will do is he will twist you around and get you to dwell in his dominion. Remember that? This wicked world system? And he does that with three different ways. First of all, he does it with his rat meat. Remember that? He thought that was chicken. <laughs> you might see that recent article that's out there. Yeah, whatever, I digress. Go back and watch the video again. Before, you thought it was rat, uh, chicken meat, but no, 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 it was really rat meat, right? And see, that's what Satan does. He gets you out to think, oh, it's so good, it's so wonderful. You just got to try it, right? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. That's how he draws us into his evil, wicked dominion, this wicked world system. But we've got to not only acknowledge his presence, we've got to stay away from his dominion, okay? It's the devil's playground. You shouldn't be out there, Christian, messing with that, okay? But that's just the first two ways he's going to tempt us into becoming a twisted Christian, which is going to lead to a tortured life. The third way, listen, that he'll get you, okay, to become a twisted Christian is when you start denying the old sin nature. The old sin nature. Can you believe that? And I can't, I can't even believe I even got to talk about this, but I, I have to. And it's crazy because if there's one easy biblical doctrine uh, to demonstrate, it's this one, right? This is totally crazy. This, everybody having a sin nature is one of the easiest things to demonstrate. You see, you don't believe me, but just ask Bill Wimberly. 
Now, apparently, while I was gone speaking and filming in Hawaii a couple weeks ago, I got a report, and it went something like this. Watch this. All right, Bill, he's in, he invites the deacons over for supper, okay? Remember, uh, have you guys on Facebook? I mean, Big Brother? I mean, Facebook? All right, you see the pictures there. I mean, Bill is what? He is the grill master. He is the daddy-o of the patio, right? He's building this thing up. He's got stereo. He's got all kinds of cool stuff there. So he invites, apparently, the deacons over. And so Bill's in the kitchen, apparently. He's getting ready, the meat, ready. And, and Diane comes in and sees Bill with a fly swatter in his hand, right? And so she asks him, she goes, hey, you killing any? And Bill said, yeah. I killed three males and two females. And so Diane, she says, well, how can you tell the males and the females apart? And Bill said, well, three were on a beer can and two were on the phone. <laughs> so obviously Diane gets upset. She stomps out of the room, right? And so Bill goes ahead and he cooks the meat. About a half an hour later, Ron Waxer, he's over there. He walks out the grill and see if Bill needs any help. And, and so he told Bill, he says, you know, Bill, he said, I've been watching you all night tonight, calling your wife uh, every cute name in the book. I mean, honey, darling, sweetheart, pumpkin, baby. And I, I just wanted to say, I think it's so nice you still call her all those pet names. And Bill, he leans over to Ron and says, to tell you the truth, Ron, I, I forgot her name about three years ago. <laughs> right? And so finally, finally, they get all together, right? Food's all done. They sit down at the table and they get ready to eat. And Jim Jubamil, he's over there too, right? The deacons. And he says, you know, guys, my wife thinks so much of me that she won't even let me do any work around the house. It's incredible. Right, Debbie? Yeah, it's called a joke, but let's move on. So Bill says, oh, yeah, well, that's nothing. My wife, she thinks I'm God. And so the deacons in unison, what? She just thinks you're God. What are you talking about? What makes you say that? And Bill says, hey, easy. Every night she places a burnt offering before me. <laughs> How many guys would say Bill's in trouble? Okay, right? Yeah. <laughs> and his wife, when she raises her hand, actually in the service, you know it's true. Okay, why? Because what? Bill's got a sin nature, right? And that's what the sin nature does. It pops and rears its ugly head, ah, does things we shouldn't do, says things we shouldn't say, and it messes things up, right? Now, I hate to drop the bombshell on you, but did you know that Bill Wimbley's not the only one with a sin nature? <laughs> we all got one. Okay, but don't take my word for it. Let's listen to God. So open your Bibles to Psalm 51, right? Psalm 51, man, if there's any doctrine that's clear in the Scripture, it is man's depravity. We all got this sin nature thing going on, this part of us that wants to rebel, okay? But where did it come from? Do we really have it all? Is it something that we learn over time? Maybe we brushed up against somebody who's a bad character and it oozed on us. That No, no, the Bible's very clear. Psalm 51 Verses 1 through 5, David speaking. Here's what he says. Let's go ahead and stand as we read God's holy word. But here's what David says, verse 1 there, Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. Why? Because I know my transgressions and my sin, it's always before me against you, God. You only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. And surely I was great when I was born and my, my neighbor, they influenced me. It's their fault. They told me to do it. Oh, I'm sorry. What did he say? He said, surely God, I was sinful when at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. You may be seated, but folks, that's just one of many, many passages in the Bible that tells us, folks, that we all got a sin nature. And this is the context here. David not only called upon the mercy of God and asked for the forgiveness of his sins, but he also what? He acknowledged why he even sinned in the first place. Okay, and what's he say there? He says, surely I was sinful at birth. And says it again, keep reading, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. We're all born as a sinner. We're all born, if you will, spiritually, DOA, dead on arrival, because of the sin nature that has transferred to every single human being ever since the fall of mankind back in the Garden of Eden at Genesis, okay? And so here's the point there. He says, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So here's the point. You and I as the Christian, if we're going to have a heart after God like King David, if we're going to be used mightily of God like King David, was David used just a little bit by God? Yet slightly, okay? David, did he fight any battles and wars for God? Was David a mighty warrior for God? Was David surrounded by warriors for God? Absolutely. So if you and I are going to have a heart like King David, we not only need to acknowledge the existence of an enemy, Satan and the evil ones, the demons, okay? We not only need to acknowledge that we live in a wicked, evil dominion, Satan, G, little g, the God of this world, but we have got to acknowledge the existence of this sinful nature, right? That's what David did right here, okay? It, because, listen, the sin nature is that part of us that messes things up. Have you noticed that? 
The sin nature is that part of us that wants to sin against God. It wants to rebel against God. It is that thing that every single day is dogging your good intentions in Christ. It's always there pulling you backwards. But it's there. You have to deal with it, as David says. And this is what the devil's trying to do. He's actually trying to get us to not acknowledge this enemy from within. Not just the enemy from without himself and the demons. Not just this wicked world dominion, his playground. But he's trying to get us to turn a blind eye, even Christian, to the enemy within. We are the only ones, Christian, who fight a battle on three fronts, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Do you get that? And this is the third one, the sin nature, okay? Listen, the devil, he's trying to blind us from that because, listen, he knows if we start acknowledging, like David, that there's a part of us that wants to rebel against God, then we're going to take it serious and then we'll probably likely less sin against God. And so he tries to get us to deny the fact that we even have a sin nature in the first place. Now, if you don't think that that's going on, you need to wake up with all due respect. Look around in our world today. What is the one thing that our world (laughs) absolutely chokes on the moment we try to share with them this biblical truth that we all have a sin nature? Don't you dare call me a sinner, right? I used to be one of those people. You want to start a fight with me? Call me a sinner. I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad of a person right there. But again, it's, it's not just the outright denial, but our society is feeding that. It's the exact opposite. It's not acknowledging our sinfulness. It's how awesome we really are. It's acknowledging our gratefulness. It's all about self, self-love and self, and I'm so incredible and so wonderful. Instead of God, would you please save a rich like me? Our world is doing it. Now, listen, the world doesn't want to say, surely I was born a sinner. They're saying, don't you dare call me a sinner. Now, see, that's the world, though. And I'm not condoning it, but I expect it because they don't know. I remember being that person before I got saved, right? Before God had mercy on me, have mercy on me, oh God. But I'm telling you, folks, this is now the floodgates have opened up in the church. In the church. And we've talked about this before, but let me demonstrate how much the church is getting in on an absolute outright refusal to acknowledge the enemy within. The sin nature that we got to deal with every single day that's tempting us to sin against God. Okay, it's that part of us that gives the devil a foothold. But the church today, we've talked about this before, churches across America today are no longer singing the words, amazing grace has saved a wretch like me. No, they've changed the words. They're now singing that saved a person like me. I found one, one uh, rendition. Or a soul like me. Or that saved and set me free. Skipping the whole thing entirely. This is going on in the church today. They're rewriting that because you can't call somebody a wretch. I mean, you can't say they got a sin nature and it's wretched and unless you get that right through Christ, you're going to go to hell. God is holy. You, are not. you can't say that because that might destroy their self-esteem, their gratefulness, not their sinfulness. This is in the church. Oh, it gets even worse than that. Uh, uh, the song, Victory in Jesus. Remember that song? Great song. Right? And what's it say? I heard an old, old story. Okay, how a savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. Not anymore. Listen, they've now changed it to save one just like me. And folks, I'm telling you, it's going all throughout the American church. Okay, they're, they're literally, it's, they're denying the doctrine of depravity, right? Which is at the core of the gospel. Okay, it gets even worse, okay? Uh, how deep the father's love for us. Remember that song? Listen to this, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Now they change it to to make us all his treasure. Again, you've got to avoid that word wretch. The, the classic song, In Christ Alone. Even that one's all messed up now. Right? You say, well, what's wrong with that one? Well, listen, to the, and this is in the Presbyterian denomination. Okay? They've actually axed that song because there was a line in there that they didn't like. When it came time to renew uh, their hymnal thing, okay? And it's the third stanza there. It says, till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Woo-hoo, who doesn't like singing that? Well, apparently these guys don't because they actually approached the songwriters, listen, to change the words to, as Jesus died, the love of God was magnified. The songwriters actually said, no way, we're not changing it to their credit. Kudos to you. But they axed it from their hymnal. No, we ain't going to sing that one no more. They're changing the words. They're getting rid of the songs. This is going on in the church. Now it's getting even worse. See, that was just step one. Step two is not just we're not going to sing how awful we are. And what did we just sing today? Praise his what? Holy name. 
Why? Because I deserve to go to hell. I got a sin nature, man. It cuts me off from God, and he saved me from that. No? So, so we're not even going to sing about it anymore. We can't even say it anymore. We, in the church today, it is now being penalized if you teach a child that they're a sinner. Can you believe this? Now, let me give you just one proof. This is how bad it's going. Child Evangelism Fellowship, that's a nationally recognized Christian group that seeks to reach children with the gospel of Jesus Christ is under fire. Why? For teaching kids the biblical doctrine of sin and eternal judgment, as well as sharing about the love and mercy of God. Now, this is in the church going against these guys. Now, listen to this. Those who oppose the group assert that Child Evangelism Fellowship does not present mainstream Jesus loves you Christianity. Quote, and they claim that they really are a hardcore evangelical fundamental sect. Right? And they're just sharing the gospel. Quote, they pretend to be a mainstream Christian Bible study when in fact they're a very old school fundamentalist sect. And that preaching to children about sin might give them feelings of fear and shame. So supporters have organized a group against them which seeks to speak out against them and literally influence and tell parents not to allow the children to attend the events, okay? And one so-called pastor, listen to this, one so-called pastor, he said this, quote, as a seminary-educated clergy member, I see the tactics being used as a form of coercion similar to a cult. You're supposed to be a pastor. You're just saying to kids, hey, God's holy, we're not. We got a sin nature, you need Jesus. That's a cold tactic? No, it's called the gospel. But this is going, and that's supposed to be a pastor. And quote, parents who send their children to clubs that operate on fear should be prepared to see their children suffer from mental health issues. So we tell them they're a sinner, now that we're going to give them mental health problems. Okay, they actually fed, uh, set up a Facebook page, if you want to check it out, okay? And their profile photograph is right here. I had to share this with you. This is, this is how they're speaking out. This is in the church, okay? There is this. They're holding up a child that says, I am not a sinner. This is going on in the church. And what did David say? Have mercy on me, O God. Why? God, forgive me of my sins. Why? Because I'm a sinner from birth. And now in the church, it's becoming illegal. That's the bare bones of the gospel. That I'm not a sinner. This is, this is how far. It's becoming illegal in the church to share with kids the basic biblical truth that you're a sinner in need of a savior so you can go to heaven because uh, if I were to do that, it might damage your self-esteem. Well, you know what? I'd rather have you have no self-esteem and end up in heaven than high self-esteem and go to hell. But this is in the church. This is not in the world. This is in the church. Okay? And, and again, this explains the problem of why our world is so messed up. It's not just the core issue of sharing the gospel. That, yeah, that's part of it. But do you ever wonder why there's so much evil and suffering? I'll tell you why. The reason why our world is full of evil people who do evil things and it's getting more and more evil by the minute is because we all have a sin nature. What did David say? Surely I was sinful at birth. That's why things are so messed up. Yes, it's spiritual warfare. Yes, it's this wicked world system. But every single person born on the planet has a sin nature that wants to rebel against God. That's why. And so the enemy is trying to blind us to this. And it's not just now messing up, just trying to share the bare bones message of the gospel. But Christian, you wonder why things are so messed up? How many guys would say, if you had a robber in your house, and right in front of you, they kept stealing things, uh, the easiest way to deal with it is step one. There's a robber in my house. <laughs> right? That's, hello, common sense, right? Number two, I need to deal with this robber and put a stop to it, right? Common sense, right? Well, folks, guess what? There's a robber inside of us. Not just outside of us. Not just a playground, don't play in there. There's a robber inside of us. And yet now even in the church is saying, don't acknowledge, and you wonder why we're getting robbed in our walk with Jesus Christ. We wonder why we're not experiencing the victory that Christ has already won for us. Because even in the church is saying, no, nope, no such thing as a robber. Don't look over there. Nope, 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 nope. Not going to sing about it, not going to acknowledge it. Nope, 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 nope. And we're being robbed blind. The Bible says you need to acknowledge this because if you don't, it will actually overtake you. In fact, the words that the Bible says when sin first entered into the world, God says it'll master you. 
right? And let's go back to that Garden of Eden text there. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Genesis 4, here's what God says. Verse 7. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is what? Right? Sin's now entered the world after the fall of man. It's crouching at your door. So what do you do? Nope, 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 nope. Not going to acknowledge it. Nope, nope, no, sorry. No rubber here. Nope, move on, move along. No, that's what he says. Its desire is for you, but you what, Christian? You must master it. You've got to deal with it, okay? People, the Bible says, unless you master your sin nature, your sin nature will master you. It's there every single day, 24-7. It's seeking to enslave you. It's seeking to pull you down and destroy your walk with God. It's the enemy within. It's that part of us that's just like Satan. It's selfish, rotten to the core. It's rebellious to God. It doesn't want to obey a God. It wants to do its own thing in its own sweet time. It's that voice in your head every day. God says, you better not just acknowledge it like David. You better master that thing. You better put that thing in its place or it's going to have a heyday with you. Do you get it how serious this is? Yes, acknowledge the external enemy, the evil one. And this evil, wicked world system is playground. But you've got to deal with this internal one too. It's the third reason why we are tempted every single day. Okay, And this is why the enemy is blinding us to this truth. Because you can deal with the other two, but if you don't deal with this one, you're toast. Listen to this illustration. This is why. And by the way, this is a true story. This is, I can't even, I, October 1993, in the edition of Life magazine, right, there's a picture of it. I'm not making this up. There's a picture of a 10-year-old boy named Jensen. He's playing this flute, right? But when you look at his eyes or where his eyes should be beneath his long bangs, you only see red, empty sockets. Why? Get this. Because as the caption next to the photo explains, the boy was a victim of organ nappers, eye thieves. You see, when Jensen was 10 months old, his mother took him to the hospital because he had acute diarrhea. However, the next day when she returned, she saw that Jensen's eyes were covered with bandages and dried blood was splattered all over his body. And so horrified, she asked the doctor what in the world happened. The doctor answered back uh, harshly, can't you see that your child is dying? And he rudely uh, dismissed her. So she rushes Jensen to another hospital, hello, and after examining him there, the doctor there gave the chilling news what that doctor was doing. Quote, they have stolen his eyes. Now, I... I, it's not only shocking to realize that we live in a wicked world today, such an evil, wicked world, where people are so stinking evil that they will actually literally rip out a 10-year-old child, anybody's eyes for cash, leaving them blind for life. But what's more shocking is how the church today is lining up by the truckloads to spiritually have their eyes ripped out to the truth of a sin nature. That boy didn't have a choice. But imagine somebody checking, yep, rip him out. That's what the church is doing today. Yep, don't, I, I don't want to see, I don't want to deal with it. Mm -mm -mm. We are spiritually being blinded to what we need to see. We have a third enemy inside of us we got to deal with every day. This is in the church, okay? And the devil knows what it's called undermining your walk with Jesus Christ. If he can blind us from the enemy from within, then guess what? Oh, you might have spurts here and there in your walk with Christ. Oh, you might have a little victory here and there, but not that consistent marching forward, becoming that great mighty army, that warrior for Jesus Christ victory. That Christ already won for us. He's trying to blind us from that third enemy that we have to fight every single day. Stop ripping your eyeballs out, Christian, from the spiritual truth. Deal with it. Surely I was sinful at birth. Why is there such a struggle every single day? Yes, it's spiritual warfare. Yes, it's this wicked world system. But I got an enemy within that I got to deal with. Acknowledge it. Okay? But that's not all. The fourth way you know you're headed for a tortured life. How is the enemy trying to turn you into that twisted Christian? Is when you start denying the existence of his, what I call, murderous motive. You see, the devil isn't just doing this just to mess with us and, ha, 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 I mess with your walk with Jesus. Mm -mm. I mean, I'm sure that's true. But you need to understand, he wants to kill you if he can. I didn't say that. Jesus said, John chapter 8, Jesus said, you belong to your father, the who? The devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a what? 
a murderer from the beginning. What's he talking about? The beginning what? The fall of mankind. We'll get to that in a second. But not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. We've dealt with this passage many times before, mainly in the second part there, where the Bible says that Satan's not just real, okay, but he's a liar and he's the father of all lies, right? We've talked about that for many times. But let's focus back on that first one there. It says he's not just a liar, okay, it says he's a what? He's a murderer, and it specifically says he's been one from the beginning, right? Right? He doesn't just want to mess up our life, our walk with Jesus, okay, spiritually. He wants to, if God were to allow him, because God's in control, he wants to murder you physically. And this has been his desire from the get-go, right? And if you don't believe me, folks, just ask Adam and Eve, right? When Adam and Eve sinned against God, what did God say? He said, listen, when you eat of this tree, you'll what? You will surely die. God told them. Now, they didn't die on the spot physically right away, but guess what came? Death entered the world. They died later. Okay? Now, the enemy does, he wants to mess with us two different ways. He wants to kill us in two different ways. Okay? And the first one is in our walk with God. Okay? He wants to destroy our walk with God. And this is that passage, Lord willing, later we're going to tear into big time. Ephesians chapter 6. God says, don't freak out. Don't be afraid. This is his motive. He really is out to get you. But here's what you do. Right? He says, first of all, finally be strong in the Lord and in his what? His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God. Why? So that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. What's part of the schemes? He wants to destroy you. He's a liar. He's a murderer. Okay? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when, not if the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. God's word says you don't need to freak out. You don't need to be afraid. Okay, of the devil, okay? You don't need to run and hide, right? What's God say? What are we supposed to do as Christians, okay? You need to acknowledge this is real. You need to acknowledge this is going on every single day. All you got to do, though, is just put on the full armor of God, stand your ground, and it's the devil who must flee. Resist him, the Bible says, and he will flee from you. Why? Because you stand in the power of Christ. The devil's power is no match for the power of Christ. That's why God has armed us to the teeth. He doesn't just say, okay, I saved you from hell. I'll see you in heaven when you get here. He gives us all this spiritual ability. He packs us on with every piece of spiritual military equipment that you could ever dream. We are so armed to the teeth. If you just put it on, and then the enemy would be scared of you. You see why he doesn't want you to do it? And this is what he does. Here's all he does. He can't take away the armor. He just tricks us into doing something else besides putting on the armor. And it's called sin. Just be so full of sin. You'll never become that warrior for Christ. Oh, it's there. It's right before you. But you'll never do it. Nothing infuriates the enemy more than to see a spiritually mature Christian. Nothing strikes more fear in his heart than to see a Christian who's wearing the armor of God. This is why, Christian, he trembles when he sees you on your knees. This is why he cringes when you open the word of God. Now you can wield the sword of the Spirit and smash his lies right back into his throat. Now you can inflict harm. Now you just became a threat to him. If you just do what God says. Acknowledge your three-front battle. Man, there's spiritual warfare out there. This is real. It's not just flesh and blood. Oh, man, this wicked world system, he's always trying to pull me in these three different ways. Lust of the eye, lust of the flesh, pride of light. i got this enemy within. That's bad enough, man. This thing's always, no wonder he's got a little foothold in here. There's a part of me that wants to do that. And I, okay, I, got, I just acknowledge it. Put on the armor of God. Stand firm in his mighty power. Bring it on, dude. Right? But see, that's what the enemy is trying to get us to not do. He's no dummy, folks. He's been playing this game for 6,000 years. He knows our history. He knows the tricks, right? And he just tries to get us to sin. He tries to get us to sin and to rebel against God, just like him. Because he knows, listen, it is when we constantly sin against God, this robs us from the power of God, and it kills our walk with Christ every time. But it isn't just spiritually that he wants to mess with us. Again, I'm telling you, folks, I really believe that Jesus is saying he wants to kill you physically. Because sometimes, did you know, sin leads to physical death. Okay, let's take a look at that passage here. Paul talks about this, Romans 6, 19, 21, and 23. Just as you used to, key word there, used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer them as a slavery to what? 
righteousness, right? You used to do whatever your sin nature wanted to do, whatever thought came to your head, Christian, you went off and did it, who cares, whatever. That's what you used to do, but now you're a born-again Christian. You're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now what do you do? Every day you get out of bed, you make a conscious choice. No, this body, this temple is to be an instrument of righteousness, not of wickedness. Every day I'm making a conscious issue of this choice here. Leading to what? To holiness. What benefit, he said, uh, did you reap at that time from the things you're now ashamed of? Remember the things you used to do before you got saved? Yeah. Those things result in what? Death, right? For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This passage here, uh, folks, tells us that not only uh, does sin produce a heartache, it doesn't just produce separation from God. How many times does the Bible got to say it? Sin produces what? Death. And not just spiritual death. Sometimes, depending on the sin, it will produce a physical death. Again, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. But even more so, let's break it down. Well, maybe I'll... Nobody will see that I took that. The sin of being a thief. Ah, young. Hey, but did you realize that you keep that up? Oh, maybe it's a small thing right now, but you keep that up. And then sometimes thievery leads to what? To somebody dying. Somebody gets shot, somebody gets killed. Whoa. Folks, the enemy is always out there constantly tempting us to do something. Hey, did, did you know that, oh, hey, nobody's looking. I'll just take a little drink here. And, well, that tasted pretty good. Maybe I'll just have a, another drink here. And then, no, maybe, maybe just one more, one more. You know, after all, nobody sees it as if God can't see through the dark. And just, did you know the sin of drunkenness? Oh, maybe you got away with it that time. But you keep that up, and you know what? You start doing some dumb things. You get in the car. Did you know the sin of drunkenness can actually kill people, could kill you, could kill others, could kill everyone? Wow. Sin doesn't just hurt. Sin doesn't just harm. Sin doesn't just destroy your walk with Christ. Sometimes sin will kill you. Listen, this is the evil one. This is in whom we have to deal with. What did Jesus say? He's a murderer, folks. And if he could, he would kill you. Not just mess your walk with Christ. This is whom do we have to deal with. This is not just against flesh and blood. This, there's somebody out there who wants to kill you. Even if he gets you to just, just one little lick at a time. Because he knows we can't stop. And we'll end up pulling the trigger ourselves. Like this. Watch this. Paul Harvey, he tells of a story about how an Eskimo. How does an Eskimo kill a wolf? Here's what he does. First, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with blood. And then he lets it freeze. Then he adds another coat of blood. And then he lets that freeze. Then he keeps on adding another coat of blood and freezing it until the blade is hidden deep within a substantial thickness of frozen blood like a popsicle. Then he buries the knife in the ground, blade up, okay, in the frozen tundra, and he leaves the scene. And sure enough, pretty soon the wolf catches the scent of the blood, and he springs to lick it. And, and then he licks it more and more, and, and more and more feverishly. Until, until the blade is bare, but he's still not done. Then he keeps on licking harder and harder and harder because, but because of the cold. The, the wolf never notices the pain of the blade against his own tongue. You see, his craving for the taste of blood is so great, he doesn't even realize that the, his thirst is now being satisfied by his own blood. In fact, get this, the wolf will never stop. He will keep licking that blade until he literally bleeds to death, swallowing his own life. Wow. Folks, that's what the devil does with sin. He is so wicked, he is evil, he hates our guts, and he wants us dead, even physically. And this is why every single day we have got to do what the scripture says. Acknowledge the battle we're in. Somebody is actually out there, there's an entity out there who's, who's, who is setting the knife blade up for us every day we get out of bed. And if we don't acknowledge this third enemy that wants to lick it, he knows, just get you one lick. Just one, nine times out of ten, we can't stop. So how is it helping us if we won't acknowledge that we got a sin nature to deal with? We're dooming ourselves. Because sin, again, oftentimes produces death. Again, stealing could produce murder. Drunkenness can produce murder, okay? 
Did you know the sin of sexual immorality can kill you too? Just ask these people. You've got a whole generation of folks that are flirting with death. Watch this. Sins of any kind are simply things that are made to look appealing by Satan, but are forbidden by God because he is a just and holy God and because he knows just how much sin harms us. And sexual sin, as we're about to see, is a classic example. Satan makes it look attractive, but if we only fully understood the price we'd pay, we'd never give it a second thought. Millions of venereal diseases that teens are catching every year. There's gonorrhea, syphilis, crabs, NSU, venereal warts, and herpes. I mean, you'd simply be amazed at the number of times one has to go to the VD clinic. Authorities and parents were utterly stunned when they learned about a widespread outbreak of the deadly sexually transmitted disease syphilis among their youth. Several young people were caught by surprise as they had never learned that there were deadly consequences to their sin. Syphilis is a horrifying disease that actually eats away at the brain until one goes insane. There are 70,000 new cases of syphilis every year, and this number is climbing. Thank God many people are learning before it's too late, before they end up in hell, that they can turn from their sin and be saved through the power of Jesus Christ. I lived mostly an asexual lifestyle through junior high, high school, had fantasies. Mm -hmm. Fantasies included a little bit of both ways, but I figured um, that that's just a passing routine and not to let that hook me. But I made a mistake because I had been so well taught that God was a God of grace that I could just about go out and do anything I wanted. And God would, if it were wrong, God would forgive me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, obviously today I'm paying a price for something I did mm -hmm. that God definitely warned me I shouldn't have done. Mm -hmm. And that's why I need to make a, a message here. Sin always takes you farther than you want to go. It keeps you longer than you want to stay. And it costs you more than you want to pay. Yeah, God will forgive you you're born again Christian. But with some sins, there's still consequences. And some of them will kill you. Like that man learned the hard way. Sin hurts, sin harms, sin destroys. Sin can kill you if you're not careful. Why? Because what does the scripture say? Satan is a murderer and he's been one from the beginning. And he knows that if we deny this battle that we're in every single day, rip our eyeballs out, go along with the flow of the rest of the church, act like it's not real, just sit there and sing songs of our gratefulness and how wonderful we are, instead of dealing with this enemy within and the battle that we're in, nine times out of ten we're going to sin and we can't stop, we're licking that blade until it kills us. Either in our walk with Jesus Christ or sometimes until we're dead on this earth. And guess what, Christian, you never became that threat. You never fulfilled the destiny that we could have in Christ. Don't you want to be that Christian? Don't you want to be that warrior for Jesus Christ? Don't you want to become a threat to the enemy? I like when one guy says, don't you ever get tired of hearing about a story, about a story about some guy who knew some guy, who knew some guy, who knew some guy back in church history way back then who, did, who actually did something for Christ? Don't you want to be that guy? Don't you want to be that woman? It starts every day. Doing what God says. And becoming that warrior for Jesus Christ. In fact, the Bible says you don't need to take this serious. You need to make a conscious choice to put these enemies to death every day. Okay? And this is what we see in these two passages here. Colossians 3, 5. Put to what? Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. What's he talking about? The sin nature, the evil from within. That produces what? Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil, desires, greed, which is idolatry. Why? Where do these thoughts come from? How come this happened? Yeah, it might be spiritual warfare. Yeah, it might be this wicked world system. It might be the enemy within. So what are you supposed to do? Every day, what do you do? Make a conscious decision. Uh-uh, no, I'm not listening to you. I'm putting you to death. Paul says, Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to that thing, the evil, sinful nature, guess what? You will 
die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. The Bible says this is the choice we're making every single day, basically when we get out of bed. We not only acknowledge the existence of an enemy without, we acknowledge the enemy from within. We say no to his suggestions, and we literally say, I put you to death. I make a conscious choice to say, no, you're the one. I'm going to dig a hole today in my time with the Lord. I'm putting you in the grave. You're the one. That's going in the hole, not me. It's a spiritual exercise. If you're not doing it, you need to deal with it. Because half the battle is knowing that we're in a battle. The other half is knowing who it's against and dealing with it. Okay? Every day, we need to put that sin nature in the grave, like this guy did. Let's take a look. Every day, making a conscious choice 
to say no to that enemy. The third one. And if anybody's going to go in the grave, it's going to be you. It's a conscious choice. See, it's a command. What did Paul say there? Put to death. That's an action. That's a verb. Right? I am making a conscious decision to acknowledge and put that thing to death, the misdeeds of the body, and what? You will live. And it certainly doesn't help when you say, I ain't got nothing to put in the hole. In fact, as putrid and as yucky as that thing produces, no, that's not even real. Can you imagine that guy went up to all that filth and stuff that he was pulling out of that chest and just looked at it and go, oh, you're so beautiful. Did you know that's what self-love, self-esteem, self, 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 self must look like, if you will, in the eyes of God? That part of us that, that we used to sing songs, wretch. Thank you, God, for saving a wretch like me. Oh, the filth. Yes, acknowledge that in order to be saved. But moving forward, Christian, we still got to deal with that old me, the old you that wants to go back to that chest and produce more. The scripture says, acknowledge it, put it to death. That's the pathway to becoming a threat to the enemy. That's the pathway of experiencing the victory that we already have in Christ. Let's be those people. Let's be that church and show Las Vegas what a warrior for Christ is supposed to look like. Amen? Let's pray. Well, hi, this is Bill Crone of Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, let me ask you one final question. Are you sure that if you were to die today that you go to heaven and not hell? Now, before you answer that, let me uh, share with you a couple things that the Bible says. The Bible says that God is holy and that we are not. And the wages of our sin or unholiness is death. We don't deserve to go to heaven when we die. We deserve to go down. We deserve to go to hell. Now, to make matters worse, we don't even want to admit this problem that we have, that we're separated from God not only now, but we're going to be separated from Him for all eternity in a place called hell. We, we, we don't even want to admit that. So, once again, out of love, God gives us what's called the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were God's x-ray, if you will, divine x-ray to, to get us to admit the problem that we have inside that's separating us from Him. Let, let, let's take a look at a few of those of God's divine x-ray. For instance, if you think that you're worthy on your own, you don't need a Savior, uh, you're going to get to heaven all by yourself, then let's take a look at God's test there, uh, the, the Ten Commandments. The ninth one says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. Uh, how many of you have ever told a lie before? Raise your hand. Okay. Uh, if you didn't raise your hand, you just told one. But folks, we've all done that. That makes us a liar. The Ten Commandments, God's x-ray, showing us that we have sin that's separating us from Him. We're not holy and perfect like Him. The fifth commandment says this, you shall not steal. Don't ever once take anything without permission. How many of you have ever done that? Well, if we're not going to tell another lie, we, we should all admit that as well. Well, that makes us a thief now. The Bible says that God is so holy, uh, even His name is holy. And that's why the Ten Commandments says you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. And if we're honest again, folks, hey, a lot of us, how many of us have used the blessed name of Jesus Christ? The only name, the Bible says, under heaven that men might be saved. We've now turned it into a common cuss word, if you can believe that. The Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. The Bible also says, hey, show, you want to show God you're so perfect, you have no sin? Then don't ever once commit adultery. And you might say, well, I, I've never done that, really? Jesus lays the standard before us. God looks at the heart. Man looks on the outside. Jesus said, if you ever looked with lust in your eye at another person, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's His holy standard. One more, the Bible says, okay, you think you're so good? Uh, then don't ever once commit murder. You shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I, at least I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible again says that the sin of hatred, wishing someone was uh, dead, is akin to the sin of murder. It's just, if you will, you pull the trigger in your heart. So, so, so how are you doing? That's just five out of ten of God's divine x-ray, by the way, uh, showing us the problem. How are you doing? Not if, but when your time comes, we're all going to stand before God. You will be forced to admit what He already knows. Hey, God, let me in. Let me in. I'm a, I'm a liar. I'm a, I'm a thief. I'm a, a blasphemer, an adulterer, and a murderer. And the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not 
inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're not headed to heaven in that state. You're headed to hell. But here's the good news. God said if we would just admit this, number one, then he could fix it. And it gets fixed only one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 14, verse 6, he says, I am the way, the life, and the truth, and nobody comes to the Father but by me. Why? Because only Jesus lived the perfect life in our place. And Jesus died on the cross. He took the death penalty in our place so that we could be set free. And since we weren't there, and since it's a gift and we can't earn it, we have to receive that wonderful gift by faith. And the Bible says God will pardon us for our crimes, our sins, against Him. And you can actually see this analogy working uh, in the natural, in the normal world. Uh, we see this actually uh, in the courtroom. For instance, if a person is guilty and, and everybody knows they're guilty, they've committed a horrible crime and, and, and the, the sentence has passed, the judge has knocked down the gavel and says, hey, uh, you are going to jail, you are going to the death penalty for that crime. And, and we know that people, that happens all the time and they go to jail, but believe it or not, did you know there's a way for that person, even though they're guilty, to actually be set free from that crime? It's called a pardon. And the one in authority, the governor, has the part out of mercy, out of goodness, certainly nothing that that person did in jail. They can't undo the crime. It's too late. But out of mercy, the governor could go down there and grant that person in jail a full pardon for their crimes. And by receiving that pardon, the doors come open and they are set free and they're rescued from the death penalty. Folks, that's what God is doing every single day with us spiritually. He has allowed His Son, Jesus Christ, to take the death penalty in our place. He's pardoned us, but a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it. And it's actually been on historical record that there have been people on death row who a governor has gone down out of mercy and extended to them a full pardon, but they've rejected it. And by their own doing, they went to the death penalty. Folks, don't make that same mistake for all eternity. God loves you. He's willing to forgive you of anything and everything you've ever done. All of it. Even the sins we don't even know about. He wants to pardon you and forgive you, but you must receive that by faith today. The Bible says if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you call upon His name, ask Him to forgive you of all your sins, believe in your heart that God raised Him from the grave, you will be saved. Please do that now. Please do that today because tomorrow may be too late. Well, this has been Billy Crone of Get a Life Ministries. Again, thank you for joining us. If there's anything that you need, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to contact us. Our information and number and uh, things will uh, pop up here on the screen here shortly. And remember, I hope to see you in heaven. God bless.